Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30 and, of course, it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, of course, uh, we have to welcome back Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants. Morning, Stephen. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, everybody out there. Um, it's definitely getting darker in the mornings. Uh, yes, I got up this morning, I went, uh-oh, it's, it's night time. <laughs> yes. So, yes, so uh, somebody else got to let out the animals this morning. I wasn't going to blunder around in the dark <laughs> trying to let everybody out. No. Um, especially going up the back to the chook shed. Um, Don't you dare do that again. You've yeah, had no. too many accidents. Yeah, that's right, yes. No, no dealing with things in the dark. It's a Not, bit silly, really. It is. Um, but, yes, it is good to see the day shortening, I have to say, because it's still dry. And so, you know, at least we don't have to put up with long, hot days, just maybe hot ones. But it's been a really intriguing summer. I mean, I've almost given up on the idea of having good crops of certain summer vegetables. Yes. Um, Funnily enough, my tomatoes are doing quite well, uh, although it was ages before I picked the first, even with the small tomatoes. Yes, yes. Uh, but now I'm, you know, getting enough tomatoes to keep the kitchen going um, pretty well all the time. Whenever I need some tomatoes, they're there. Um, don't think my sweet corn's going to be the best crop I've ever had. Mm. I think it's going to be a little on the small side. And, yep. Uh, I'll probably need to start picking that in the next few days. And, uh, yeah, so, but some things did really well. I got great French beans. The beans were fantastic this year. Uh, the beetroot was good. Um, you know, so there's lots of stuff I can be thankful for. Mm. But uh, yes, yeah, an odd season with, with those sort of. We've had sort of long drawn out periods of coolish weather, uh, even though there hasn't been a lot of rain of late. Well, that's the problem. It's so dry. Yeah. It's, dry. it's yeah. incredibly dry. Yeah. So anyhow, we're into autumn. It can't be too long before we get a proper break in the weather, and you need that proper rain because watering with a hose, it just doesn't soak in. It like, doesn't. No. You've got to break that tension of the hydrophobic yep. soils and things. And exactly. Rain does that, but watering with a handheld hose or a sprinkler doesn't. No. So, yes, yeah, so I'm looking forward to some rain at some stage along the track, but, yeah, it's already feeling really autumnal. Mm. We've got our first leaves turning up our way. Okay. Um, mm. One of the earliest things that always turns uh, first virtually before anything else is the Virginia creeper, uh, Parthenosis quinquefolius. Um, and it's one of my favourite climbers because it, it lightly rambles through things and then it dribbles out in lovely long dangly bits. Mm. Uh, whereas if you plant a wisteria or a grapevine or something like that, you end up with sort of the unstuffed mattress look on the top of the <laughs> pergola or whatever. But Virginia creeper for me is just one, uh, just pure elegance. And it's the first thing that colours. It's sort of harbinger of autumn. Uh, it goes the most fantastic scarlet. Uh, and these long dangly bits hanging over the, out of the pergola or, or out of a tree. I quite often grow it up through trees because it's light enough that it's not going to swamp the things it's growing through. Yep. Uh, and, um, and in fact, if you've got an autumn colouring tree and you grow a uh, Boston, uh, Virginia creeper through it, I was going to say Boston ivy, um, <laughs> then you get two hits of colour because the ivy will colour first and then your maple or whatever you're growing it through will colour after it mm. shed all its leaves. And so you get a double whammy in the autumn. Mm. So it's a really good idea. So, yeah, so autumn is definitely on its way. Yeah, I reckon it'll be at least another three or four weeks before we get some intensely autumn colour. Uh, but, you know, some of the pears are starting to show tints and, and what have you. And certainly the Virginia creeper at the nursery is all bright scarlet at the moment. Mm. So 
It's definitely happening. Yep, certainly is. And I, it can't come too soon for me. <laughs> <laughs> we also have to say a very good morning to Graham Morrison. Morning, Graham. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, listeners out there. Yes, I, uh, just Stephen mentioned the beans. I've got, I want to brag a bit here, but I've got some climbing beans. I measured them. They went up to four, four, four metres tall. Goodness. And uh, also I've got uh, some cherry tomatoes, and they're measuring three, three and a half metres t- t- tall. I've really got, got, got gone up and picking an abundance of the, 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 those at the moment. Uh, I thank God we had so much rain in December and, and January there, which sort of set, set, set the scene, because February, I think, Melbourne, just 1.6 millimetres of rain. Mm. Just, and we, we haven't had any more than that out in Doncaster. But, uh, yeah, I, one story I'd like to tell you is uh, I, a pumpkin came up in my big plant, a planter box, and I thought, well, I'll leave that just a self-sown one from last year sort of thing. Right. Sort of take over the whole planter box. So I thought, yeah, well, I'll get a seven-foot star stake and whack in, and it went up that, and I trained it up. Then it went across onto the spout of my house <laughs> and uh, another five, five metres along sort of thing. And now I've got these pumpkins dangling from the spout sort of thing, you know, which is right. quite, it's worked out well. Otherwise, it's a north-facing wall, and the kitchen gets a bit hot with the sun, and it's it's made a good canopy of you know foliage along there to keep keep the sun. So yep. I'm, I'm getting away with it, that with my wife. She thinks it's okay. So you know, <laughs> well, she's going to reap the benefits of the pumpkins. Yeah, that's well, right. Yes, yeah, so, <laughs> I didn't do it this year, but I normally grow one up and over my chook shed. Right. Uh, okay. and, uh, and and it sort of runs up and over the wire on the chook shed, and then I get these rather handsome pumpkins that hang neatly below them. Yeah. And they when they're fully grown, they're this lovely. Even form, you don't yeah, get sort of flattened true, edge to them. Yeah, uh, so you create flower show prize-winning pumpkins by running them up like that. I think the Japanese love that sort of thing. They, they, they don't. They like. Everything when I was in Japan, everything's got to be perfect and melon, melons and stuff if they can grab them, you know, on an air business rather than laying on the ground. Oh, they hang them up in bags, don't they? Because they don't want any blemishes or any mistakes. No one has to say melons aren't something I'm particularly interested in at the moment. Well, no. What's been going on out there? No, exactly. Rock melon, that's a shocker, isn't it? It is a shocker because it's the last thing you'd think of. Yeah. Well, you think of fruit being good for you, don't you? Exactly. You don't expect to catch some sort of nasty. In fact, life-threatening yep. thing from it. Tell me, Graham, if you if you allow pumpkins to run, yes, yes. Um, there's a thing that you don't get female flowers unless you you clip back the ends of the runners so that they will branch out sideways. That's supposed to yeah, encourage the yeah, yeah, yeah. the female flowers. I hadn't heard that, Pam. To Haven't tell you? It's always it's a bit frustrating. A whole lot of male flowers come early. With well, they bu- come bu- first. Bu- bu- yes. A lot of those cuckoos yes. do, do, do the same thing. We, at about this time of year, or just a little bit earlier, we, we chop off the ends, ends of the runners in that if anything sets, it gets a bit too late and they don't really form a good pumpkin. Yeah. So we, 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 we cut them off then. But right. You know, I, I, I get a bit keen. You, you get a, 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 a hairbrush hair, hair and get the, the pollen, pollen off the male flower and put it on the female flower. And I, I, I did that a bit earlier yep. because we had a few 
my uh, female flowers were, were, were coming out and they just went to dummy sort of thing, indicating that they hadn't been pollinated. Okay. So if you're really, really keen, get a little, little, little artist paintbrush, get the, the pollen on there from the male and work back it on the f- f- female plants. Well, that's fine yeah. if you've got female flowers. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> you've got to have, <laughs> you've got to have female yeah, flowers. Yeah, my zucchinis took ages to set some female flowers. This year I put in some of the Lebanese zucchinis yeah. and I was beginning to despair of all things for zucchinis because mm. you normally have a glut on the day. Oh gosh, yeah. But I had so many male flowers and I was beginning to think I wasn't going to get any zucchinis, but they did eventually come in. But uh, Well, I grew some bush pumpkins. I mean, they, they, they're about this size, so they're a good for size those, for... For a, those out there who can't see this size. A mini size. pumpkin, but yeah, well... How big would you say that uh, is? What's the equivalent? Eight to ten inches in the yeah, old measurement. Yeah, yeah. So they're real. They're a good. They're a great size if mm. you're feeding two people. They're mm. perfect. Yeah, nice. um, and I got a massive crop of those. But as I say, I haven't had one single female flower on my big long yeah, uh, pumpkin. Even to this stage. Even to this stage, well, so I might as well just rip them out. Yeah, we well, might as well turn them into compost because they're not going to do anything that, that, now. That is strange. Yeah. yeah. Usually, you know, you the first perhaps you know. Three weeks of flower flowering, you get the, the that, male, 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 yeah. but then you get the females coming, I know. Come, come, coming in. I, I'll blame the cool weather. Mm. Well, year. yes, mm. okay. And I think that's that's something people have got to get their head around. Is you know, you get people who ring in and they want to know why their tomatoes aren't cropping or why something else isn't cropping. Nine times out of ten, it's not anything to do with the cultivation that you're doing. It's to do with it's the, to do the with weather patterns. Yeah. That's right. True, true, true. And, you know, whether mm. it's been warm enough for pollination or whether the temperatures have been bouncing up and down too much for some things. Um, and that's something yeah, you can't yeah, do yeah, much true, about. True. Exactly. I know I was listening to your program and you said you had a feed joa and, and although it had flowers, it didn't set any fruit. Mine was exactly the same. Mm. Granted, it's a fairly young tree, which sometimes they, they don't set, settle down. Yep. But it had a myriad of flowers all over it, not, not one feed joa on the yes. thing. Yes. And similarly with my uh, uh, ki- kiwi fruit, I've got a male and a female, and they've been there long enough. There's males and females left. Yeah, so flowers. you've had the flowers, yeah. but, 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 but did, didn't have any fruit. Nothing. Yeah. No, again, like you say, it's probably a climatic thing. If, oh, if, yeah. the, if uh, you know, if you've got to have the right temperature, the right wind, their wind pollinated the, mm. the, 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 the kiwi fruit. And you, you'd, you'd think that would be a, that was a real mystery to me. I don't, I, I don't know. But it happens. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And sometimes you just got to be philosophical. You catch your losses. Yeah. When yeah. I was le- lecturing up at Hawkesbury Agricultural Co- College, one of the lecturers said, "If you get a curly question, Graham, in, in horticulture, just just say that uh, the Charles Darwin himself once said that it's an abominable mystery." <laughs> I sort of used that a bit to get away with it. You know? <laughs> yes, oh dear. Ah, well. Okay, I'm going to get to some community announcements. Um, coming up first of all, uh, next weekend, 10th and 11th of March, we have the uh, Heronswood Gar- Harvest Festival. Now, um, this is going to be, uh, there's going to be production garden tours. Um, you can get uh, pro tips from our veggie experts. 10.30 and 2 o'clock. There's going to be um, Heronswood Garden Tours at 11.30 and 3. There'll be free mini workshops, green manures at 10 o'clock, berries for the home gardener, citrus, bananas and avocados, growing summer vegetables. There'll be a summer taste test between 11 and 2. You can enjoy lunch on the uh, pool lawn and the menu comes, of course, from uh, Heronswood Grown Produce. And there'll be children's garden activities and face painting. So that's all happening uh, down at Heronswood. And, of course, Heronswood is 
in Dramana, Latrobe Parade. Just let me get the um, the number 108 Latrobe Parade in Dramana there. So that's next weekend. Then following up from that, um, Cloud Hill, which of course is part of the uh, the Diggers Group. Cloud Hill will have their Festival of Flowers the following weekend on the 17th and 18th of March. And again, they're going to have garden tours, free mini workshops, um, children's garden activities. So, um, and Ronnie the Peony Grower will be there. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. So, yes. Ronnie um, Bogle. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that will all be great. So, uh, again, that's, um, that's the next two weekends coming up um, if you'd like to be part of those, uh, those festivals. The um, address for Cloud Hill is 89 Alinda Monbolg Road in Alinda. So uh, keep an eye on those two. Now, also uh, a reminder that uh, next weekend Fernie Creek Plant Collectors Sale is on, uh, both Saturday and Sunday. 100 Mil- Hilton Road in Sassafras. They'll have uh, rare plants, tools and books, uh, botanical art, guided garden walks, free on-site parking, refreshments and lunch also available. So that's next Saturday and Sunday, uh, 10th and 11th of March. Uh, also coming up on the 11th of March, which is next Sunday, Reedsdale Bush Market. Have you ever been across to that, Steve? No, I haven't. Because it's always weekends, of course, these things happen. Yeah, that's right, and you're always busy. (laughs) Yeah, it's always hard to get away from the nursery. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, they seem to be going from strength to strength, which is great. Um, They uh, hold it, uh, well, it always coincides with a Labor Day long weekend. There you go. Mm. It's going to be at the Agnes Mudford Reserve, um, and uh, there's going to be uh, live music with Bendigo and District Concert Band, um, preceded by uh, the Floyd Black Band. There'll be children's entertainment. Uh, there'll be several car clubs displaying their vehicles on the day. The market will begin at 9am and finishes at 2pm on the Sunday. Uh, there'll be uh, fresh produce, plants, uh, wineries, all sorts of things, hats, shoes. They really have a huge range of, um, of uh, goodies. Uh, the list just goes on and on and on. Uh, so uh, if you'd like to find out more on that, you can phone Alwyn and uh, the number is 0419 513 976. That's 0419 513 976. Okay, Friends of Burnley Gardens um, have got their next uh, talk coming up. Now, this is going to be with Andrew Smith, who's the curator of the Burnley Gardens there. And, uh, uh, of course, uh, he's, been, he's had 30 years' experience in the Burnley Garden, so uh, he's going to um, take us to typical areas of the garden to explain how the annual maintenance regime is established, uh, then follow uh, a classroom tutorial where you can prepare your very own seasonal maintenance schedule under gardens. That would be really handy for home gardeners, I think. It would certainly be handy for me because I never remember to do what I'm supposed to do when I'm supposed to do it. <laughs> I never have time to do everything I'm supposed to do when I'm supposed yeah, to well, do it. Yeah, well, there is that as well. Yes. Um, anyway, this is all taking place on Tuesday the 13th of March at 6 o'clock. Um, you'll start outside reception at the main building at Burnley. The first hour will be spent in the gardens before we resume at about 7 o'clock in the classroom, which is main building, room 11. So uh, it's um, 
Burnley campus, of course, which is 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond. Um, time, 7 o'clock uh, for reception to go outside, and then 7, sorry, 6 o'clock reception, then 7 o'clock the tutorial in uh, Main Building 11. The cost, if you're a member of uh, the Friends Group, $10.00. Non-members, $20. Parking, of course, is available in the boulevard. And um, you do need to uh, phone the office because bookings are essential. That number is 9035-6815. And you can leave a message or you can email friends.burnley at gmail.com. Now, also coming up, this is on Saturday the 17th of March, the Sunshine Golden Age Garden Club have got their 97th annual show. Um, now, this will take place at Glengala Community Hall. It's on the corner of Simi Street and Glengala Road in Sunshine. Millway's reference there is 40H2. Um, there'll be lots of feature displays, um, not only uh, flowers, vegetables, there'll be uh, cookery, arts and crafts, a children's section, section photography, uh, displays by local schools, so um, everything you could imagine for um, an annual show. Uh, so that, again, admission is free, I should add, and afternoon tea is available. So that's Saturday, 17th of March, 11 till 4 at the Glengala Community Hall. Uh, okay, I might get to some of these a bit later, but we've covered uh, the few for the next couple of weeks. It's high time we opened up our talkback lines. If you'd like to ring in and ask a gardening question this morning, we can talk everything edible, uh, particularly fruit, with um, Graham Morrison here in the studio. And, of course, we can talk everything floral or trees or you name it with Stephen Ryan. So we'd love to hear from you. The number is 9 419-0155 to speak to the team on air. This morning we have Liz on the outside line. If you'd like to have a chat to Liz on the outside line, 9419-8377. Okay, Stephen, let's start with a couple of plants. All right, well, we'll start with one I've got in flower in front of me here. Um, it is um, cyclamen season has started. So right. the, the autumnal species are coming out all over the place uh, in my nursery. And the common one, um, Hedrofolium, just makes a wonderful ground cover plant underneath deciduous trees or shrubs. But there's lots of other species that flower in the autumn, and some of them, I think, are well worth looking out for. And the one I've brought along this morning is Cyclamen graecum, um, which means it comes from Greece, but of course it also comes from surrounding areas, so it's not completely restricted to Greece. Um, but because of its Mediterranean origin, it's actually quite a good one for warmer climates. Uh, it will tolerate a wee bit of sun, so it doesn't have to be in complete shade. Mm. Uh, and I think of all of the cyclamen, it's probably one of the ones that has the most beautiful foliage. And I think that's as much of an important feature of them as what their flowers can be. Oh, yes, um, definitely. Graecum is normally pink, but you can get um, pure white versions of it. Uh, and every plant will have different marbling and patterning in the leaves. And most that of one is particularly handsome, I must it say. It has almost a three-dimensional quality about the, the, the marbling in it. So it, it sort of looks like a hologram almost, the way it sort of works the foliage. Uh, they're often burgundy beneath the leaves. Um, the tubers can get quite large. Um, in the case of Graecum, the tubers have roots that come from just in the centre at the bottom, and they have a permanent root system that stays in the ground. So once it's settled in the ground, you leave them alone. Um, it doesn't self-seed with the same prolificness uh, 
as um, hydrofolium does, but you will get self-sown seedlings coming up around it. And there are a number of forms out there that are well worthwhile looking out for. I just think it's a wonderful plant. It's fractionally bigger than hydrofolium in flower and uh, uh, its leaves are on sort of a par in general. Um, and it's one of those that you need to bury a reasonable depth in the ground. So get it down sort of about four or five centimetres down at least. Okay. And uh, it actually has a retractile root system, so it'll often pull itself down into the ground a bit further if it feels that it's not um, not at the right level. And I've got it growing in a dry rock garden that gets a little bit of overhead shade from overhanging limbs. Um, and I've got about 20 or 30 tubers of it growing in this rock garden, and most of them are flowering this year, and it's a lovely mixture of pink and white. And I was very selective about which ones I planted from the foliage perspective, so I've got some really interesting foliage forms amongst them. And, um, yeah, I think the cyclamen are great plants. And, of course, you've got about four or five autumnal species, um, uh, one or two of which are scented as well, which is interesting. Um, and then, you know, you go from your autumn ones into your winter ones, which is mainly cyclamen coom, uh, although hydrofolium goes into early winter quite often. Um, and then you go into spring ones with cyclamen rapandum. Uh, so you can virtually cover nine or ten months of the year with three species of cyclamen. Mm. So, I mean, I can't think of many other groups of plants that will give you that sort of value for yes. that length of time. Yep. So, and if you're really clever, you can get cyclamen and purpuracens, which is a more or less evergreen one that flowers mainly during the summer months. And in a sense, you can actually probably link the whole year, but purpuracens is one of the hardest to get and it's slow to multiply and, and it does need summer moisture because it's summer growing. Um, so it's probably one of the harder ones to keep going well in the garden. Um, but you could virtually cover the year if you're determined enough. Yeah, so I think, I think they're a wonderful group of plants. And to see them growing in the, in the forests of Italy and Greece and all those sorts of parts of the world, um, it's truly wonderful when they're in flower. They're just mm. the most gorgeous little things. That's where they originated in, in, the, in the forests, uh, uh, Steve? Yep. Oh, yes. And you'll find them on quite a lot of the, the islands in the Mediterranean as well. There's, there's cyclamen. Mm. You'll find them on Crete and Corsica. And uh, a lot of those, uh, the Balearic Islands has their own species species. Um, so you'll find them on the Mediterranean islands and you'll find them right around that Mediterranean basin, right around through the, uh, the Lebanon. Um, and uh, they've comparatively recently discovered a new species in, all in of all places, Somalia. Really? Completely isolated from any other cyclamen Good species. Uh, it was found purely by accident in, uh, somewhere up in the mountains in Somalia. Right. Um, and so there... We had this strange one living in northern Africa as well. So uh, not that Somaliensis is available. To my knowledge, it's only been grown in one or two institutes at this stage. Okay. Um, I think it was only in the 1980s or 90s that it was actually discovered. Uh, and, um, uh, and it's apparently a relic species and there's not a lot of it, so they're keeping where it is exactly uh, reasonably hidden. Yes, um, good. And I think it was botanists from Uppsala University that actually first found it. So I think they're growing it, but I don't know how far out into other places it's got yet. I don't know whether the Cyclamen Society members have managed to get their hands on Somaliensis at this point. Um, but one day it will hopefully show well, up Well, it's something list. to look forward to. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's that one out there you haven't got. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Which is quite exciting. So, yeah, Do you I know think what it looks like? Is it, is uh, it very different? It's similar, from the photos I've seen of it, it looks similar to me, and I think um, botanically they think it's similar to Cyclamen persicum, which is the one that the, they bred the big pot ones from. Yes, right. So 
I guess it looks a little bit like a small cyclamen persicum in a okay. way. Okay. Um, but I'm only going from what I can see in the few photographs I've seen of that particular species yep. so far. Um, so, yeah, so if anybody ever gets any seed, they could share it with me. I'd be quite happy about that. <laughs> but, so there you go. Great little genus. There's, there's only sort of 20-ish species, so it's not a hugely big yeah. genus. Uh, but there's been lots of books written about them in the last few years. Okay. Huge tomes just on that genus. Well, everyone's getting excited. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, we're going to go to our first caller and we have uh, June. Am I on? Yes. Um, hi, June. Oh, hi. I would like to speak to Graham. Yes, June, right here. Hello, Graham. Um, a seedling has come up under the cherry guava. Sure. And I just wondered if it, I could dig it up and replant it. For for sure, June. Yeah, they're, they're, that's right. They're, they're they're not a grafted plant, so you know, you wait okay. a little while for the fruit for fruit to come come to fruition. But it's a it's a seedling cherry guava, hey? Yes. Yeah. And no. it's got um, actually got little fruits on it. Goodness gracious, really? Oh, that, that's, well, it's about a metre high. It must have been there for a while then. Yeah. Okay. I didn't notice it. Until yeah, now. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this time of the year, you wonder about transplanting. Uh, I yes. think I would tend, tend, tend to leave it till late autumn, winter, winter, and make sure you get a, a, a good little ball of soil. Yes. So many people, when they're transplanting, they go in with a spade and leave a sort of thing, and all of the soil falls off the roots, and you, know, you have, have trouble. Right. You can patiently uh, ch- 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 chip around. There's, a, there's even a, 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 a good way of doing it in that you, yeah. you, you put the, the spade to, to its length around, make, maybe a, a ball about a, a, a foot, foot wide. Right. And you can do that a month before you, 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 you intend to actually shift it to the new place. Get, mm. get the place ready where you're going to go to, yeah. dig, dig, dig a hole, and, uh, and keep, keep the moisture going after you do the transplanting. But it's a great food. I've got, uh, you know, quite a large, large plant in my place. And, yeah. and just for people out there, it's not a bad idea this time of the year to, to thin them out. Uh, we've talked, talking earlier about things that ha- hadn't, uh, pollinated this, 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 this year, but, uh, uh, my, Cherry guava. I've got a yellow cherry guava, and oh, the, 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 yellow the, one. Yeah, yeah, and that's a very good one if you ever get onto it. It's a, it's a little bit bigger fruit, and it's a, 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 a sweet, a sweeter taste, a tasting one. But uh, the, my, I, I reckon I pulled off 90% of the uh, of the fruit, just, uh, just a little bit shorter than mar- marble size, yeah. and uh, took those off so that you get a re- re- reasonable size size fruit when they uh, they fru- they come to fruition a couple of months down the track. Yeah. Mm. Have a have, have a go. That sounds like a good idea. Can't remember. <laughs> oh, that, that's right. Was it to do to, to do with the fruit tree around yeah, the place? Yeah, to do with the guava tree. Yes. No, mm. um, oh, will it hurt the, um, the tree that's there already? No, not at around? all. No, they've got a myriad of roots right, right, right around, around their circumference, and uh, you're not going to worry, 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 worry the tree at all. That'd be okay, fine. Okay. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck with that, June. Yeah, thanks, Graham. Good on you. Good bye, advice. Bye. Bye. Thanks for the show, everyone. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. All right, uh, well, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, so we'd love to hear from you this morning. That number is 94190155. We have Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants in the studio. We also have Graham Morrison, who's our uh, 
fruit and edible plant uh, guru. So uh, mm. do give us a call, that number, 94190155. Or if you'd like to have a chat to Liz on the outside line, 94198377. We'll go next to uh, Michael, who's in Forest Hill. Good morning, Michael. Oh, good morning. Yes, good day. Look, look uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just curious about um, black sapote. Um, I've got a white sapote uh, that, that, that's sort of com- coming up. But, but it, I, I understand they're a bit frost uh, sensitive. Uh, yeah, I've, I, I have one of those black sapotes in my gar- garden as well. And... Uh, Although, you know, my banana got chopped, 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 chopped back with the frost we had this uh, last winter. Right. Uh, you know, I got, uh, uh, it came, came through that and it's, it's fine. It's a diasporus. Uh-huh. Right. A, a, evergreen diasporus, which is, of course is the per, 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 per persimmon that we, we yeah. grow in our gardens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, so I think, you know, keep a bit of water on. Where, whereabouts are you located? Uh, so I'm in Forest Hill. Yeah, no, um, you, 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 you know, you should be you all right. Should right down in, in, in the valley near the, 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 the creeks where you get uh, no. more frost. But, uh, yeah, no. Yeah, you, 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 you'd be fine with that too. Ah, yeah, great, yeah. excellent. Yeah, yeah, okay, all right. Well, he'll, he'll, he or she, I don't know, yeah. it'll, it'll go in today. Yeah, it's a yeah. bit interesting. I think the, uh, yeah, the, <coughs> the word sapote comes in there, uh, white sapote and the black, uh, black sapote, whereas, you know these common names get kicked, kicked, kicked around. They're not really re- re- related. Those two, they're di- ah. different, di- different species. Right. Okay. All right. There you go. There you go. Well, right. good, good, good luck with that. I'll be, I'm looking forward to getting some fruit off mine. It hasn't yes. fruited yet, but it's a yes. lovely lush green foliage at the moment. It's, it's, yes. It's a, yep. It's, 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 it's a good plant for the garden. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, sort of thing. It, it's uh, the, the the white one's doing quite well. It's, it's quite, yes. it's, it's fairly small at the moment, but yes. it's, uh, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. All right, I'll get out of your way. Okay, okay. good okay. on you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye. 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 Yeah. Pam, we were talking talk, talking about uh, uh, having failure, f- failures in my garden. I think I heard. Uh, a good friend is uh, Stephen once said, uh, we, we, we have what we call zonal d- denial. Yes. And, and, <laughs> yeah, and, it's exactly. a great term, that. I love it. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I, I've got a banana and, uh, you know, I'm looking for a Cavanish banana. It's a, when I bought, bought it, it's got a cold climate, you know, but, but banana. It's, it's oh, supposed yes. to get, yeah. And I've had it there about five, five, five years now. My, my wife tells me it's going to t- overtake the backyard because ah. it's suckers and it comes up again and I look for these great and they, they, I should me- measure the, the girth of the some, some of the limbs must, must be over you know, 30 centimetres maybe 40 centimetres and uh, thick and lush leaves sort of thing come out this time of the year but looking for bananas but nothing nothing, nothing doing at all Right, you get, you get fruit don't you Stephen or you did have you still got your banana? Yeah, but mine's mine's not one of the edible ones. Oh. Uh, it's it's one of the cold hardy um, uh, ornamental species. Oh, uh, and it, look, it does reasonably well. But yeah, in in winter it still gets frosted and, and yeah, looks dreadful, yeah. uh, and so all the leaves hang down like yeah. dead bats. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> and come sort of late spring, it sort of erupts again and and looks all right, and it's looking lovely at the moment because it's got a wonderful sort of red midrib. That runs up through the leaf, but uh, yes, even if it ever produces any uh, flowers or fruit, it won't be an edible one. Right. Okay, so, right sure, but yeah. you know, it's not there for 
the idea of actually growing bananas I can eat, I mean, mm. I think that is really zonal denial. That is mm. pushing it, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I was tempted once, so I saw some of those supposedly cold, hardy ones in one of the chain stores somewhere, and uh, the mm. one I was looking at had really handsome leaves. Yes, yeah, too right. Yeah, you know, so the leaves looked rather gorgeous, mm. and I was very tempted to have a crack mm. at it, but I yeah. haven't yet had a yeah, go at yeah, the yeah. edible, mm. supposedly cold climate ones. Uh, but there's a lot of... Uh, banana relatives that are much more cold hardy than any of the edible ones. So there's okay. quite a number of really interesting ornamental ones um, uh, and some of them are quite small growing. So uh, I'm always on the lookout in case somebody has any offsets of, uh, of some of those to have a crack at in mm. the garden. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Okay. I love that tropical look. Yeah. Yes, it's a great exactly. tropical look, a great big lovely leaf, you know, yeah. and they look great this time of the year. They're, they're th- 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 thriving, but you know, we got particular Nothing for the fruit bowl. No, that, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I've had a go at go, go at Pam Pam is uh, custard apple. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's quite a little, large tr- tree now. Uh, cher- cher- cherry moya comes from uh, the high, uh, high up in the Andes there somewhere. And uh, again, I, one year I had, had about 10, 10, 10 15 fr- fruit sort of thing. Really? Lovely sweet fruit, you know, yeah. with, the, with the black seeds inside. Yeah. I, 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 love, I love the things. It's got a bit of a, a, a sort of sweet palate. And, uh, but, uh, you know, it's sporadic. And they, they say you should go around again and, tr- and hand pollinate the things, but I've never got, got, got to go to that. And you see the, the, the small little, little, little fruit hanging there. The other one I had, had a go at was, was uh, dra- dragon fruit. I don't know the botanical name of that, but it's like a cactus yeah, thing. Yes, yes. yes. It, it, it is it a true cactus. It twines yes. around, it's, you know, it, it, it covers a whole wall, it's got a, a north face, and it's twined around everywhere, but not a, not, not a sign of any flowers or fruit, of course. Okay. So, so there you go. If people, you know, you'd have to have a particularly warm sort of spot for it, I think. I heard a good thing the other day, they talk, talking about St Andrews, you know, with swapping topics a bit here, sorry about this, but uh, they, they have their rhododendrons, of, uh, that's where the big golf tournament is in, uh, in, in Scot- Scotland, and they actually put water pipes in underneath the, 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 the uh, rhododendrons, uh, and, and if they, you know they look as though they won't quite quite make it for the big big event, they push hot water hot through. Hot water, yes, and, I've and, heard and, of and, that. And, 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 and sim- sim- similarly, if, if, if they're coming to, they put the cold water through. Right. Just to, 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 to get, get them to come out at the right time. That's for, for excessive. <laughs> <laughs> and it shows a sense of no economy. <laughs> yeah, you know, to get what they want, they're prepared to throw money at it. By the sounds of it, but uh, yes, yeah, I've always felt that when I'm rich and famous. I I'd have that conservatory that I could grow all those yeah, tropical yeah, things yeah, that, that I can't <laughs> otherwise grow. You know, that, that, that would be the, the, the thing to have. The ultimate. Yes, yes, a lovely big ornate uh, conservatory with all those tropical plants growing in it. But uh, I couldn't even think about trying to grow my, up my way. But there yeah. you go. Mm, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Well, a plant that you brought in, Stephen, that does give a quite a tropical look. Uh, are the canna lilies. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I have a passion for cannas. I think they're a, a great group of plants. I think they've been for a long time neglected and underutilised because people see them as that hardy old thing. Mm. Uh, and you have always see them planted badly by municipal councils where they plant whole beds of them oh, in mixed yes. colours <laughs> yeah. and they're up and down all over the place and it looks like somebody's had a wedding and thrown confetti all over the joint. Um, cannas should be used as feature plants. 
So you ha- they've got great verticality. Uh, they flower for ages and ages. They're one of the few perennials I can think of that also have bold and tropical-looking foliage. Uh, so they make really, really good statement plants. They also look fantastic in a large ornamental tub, mm-hmm. uh, sitting by the swimming pool or whatever. And although they're pretty hard to kill... Um, if you want the best out of your canners, then you need to put a little bit of effort into it. And I, mean, I don't mean hard work. I just mean water them copiously, mm. feed them regularly, uh, and preen and clean them regularly. So as a spike of flowers finish, you'll, you'll find there's a bract below the flowers. You feel in there if there's another swelling in there, there's a secondary lot of flowers coming. So you cut that off when that's finished, and then the next lot will come. Lots of canners will have a third or even sometimes a fourth group mm. of flowers on the one stem. And if you keep cleaning the dead ones off, it keeps encouraging new shoots from the bottom as well. And once that stem becomes blind and has done its thing, then take the whole stem out. And don't just wait till the winter to clean them up. Do it yep. on a regular basis as they finish flowering. Um, so really the best thing to do with your canners is to plant them under a dripping tap and then tie a horse to the tap. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, fertiliser as well. Yeah, it? that's right. So, it's, um, so they're heavy feeders. <laughs> well, as I said before, they'll to- cope with a lot of neglect. But if you pump the fertiliser into them and, and, you know, it can be any sort of manure. It doesn't really have to be anything specific. But And in fact, I quite like the idea of mixing it around a bit and putting different things down. Uh, but if you feed them with lots of feed and you water them copiously during the summer months, uh, they'll more than repay the effort. And I just love the canners. And certainly they're great if you've got a, a low-lying spot in your garden where the water tends to flow to, where it's naturally damp, um, particularly if you're madly watering your vegetable garden above or whatever, yep. um, then canners are ideal. They're also ideal to be planted on the top of septic um, lines uh, because their roots don't go down far enough to to in fact to interfere with, interfere the, with yep. the lines, but they'll take up a lot of the excess mm-hmm. moisture. And, of course, in the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne, they're using them as a filter in one of the pond areas mm-hmm. where they're taking the, mm-hmm. um, the water off the streets and things and it flows through the canna beds. Mm-hmm. Uh, the canners take all the pollutants and things out of it uh, and then they get nice clean water at the far end. Mm-hmm. So I think they're a great group of plants. Of course, there's one or two that have edibility. You can use the rhizomes of uh, canna edulis. Um, uh, as a sort of arrow root, um, uh, and there's a whole range of colours and forms in them. And, and although canners are common, there's always unusual ones out there, and that's why I feel that I can grow them because I've got I've built up a bit of a collection of really different and unusual canners that you won't find around. And the one I bought in this morning is actually one that's bred by a friend of mine in Mackay in Queensland, and it's named after his daughter, and it's called Dr Fiona Hogan. Uh, and it's a, Frank doesn't like orange, but he calls this butterscotch. Mm, okay. <laughs> that's one way around yeah, it. Yeah, well, it, it's sort of not orange in a no, sense. It's, I mean, it's a it's, softer It's lighter, it's much yeah. softer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's a really, really pretty canner. It grows yeah. to about a metre and a half. Uh, Maybe so I'd call it apricot. Yeah, I would have said apricot, mm. but he says butterscotch. Oh, okay. um, and uh, the flowers are of a medium size. Uh, they've got fairly good substance to the petals. It seems to be self-cleaning because some canners will hold their dead flowers in them and unless you go around and pluck them out, they tend to ruin the effect of the rest of the head as yes. the other flowers come out. Yes. Uh, but this one seems to be reasonably self-cleaning, so as the flowers die off, they tend to drop out. Mm. Um, so it's a really pretty canner. And as far as I know, I've got it. And Frank's got it. 
Really? He's in Mackay. That's it. You know, a lot of his canners haven't been taken into general cultivation. So a lot of his named cultivars and things, uh, he's been sending me specimens of them and I've been propagating them up and selling them. Um, but you won't buy them anywhere. Um, well, I hope they, they're going to be preserved. Well, we've actually, what I've been doing with Frank's canners too is I've been, um, donating each cultivar of his named plants and some of the ones that were bred by another person in Queensland called Mrs Reese, who I believe is still alive and in her 90s but she was breeding canners for many many years and Frank's got quite a few of her canners so I've been making sure that all of the Australian bred hybrids that I know about uh, so mainly Mrs Reese's and Frank's uh, go to the Bendigo Botanic Gardens. Ah good because they've got a collection Yeah they've got a good collection of canners (laughs) and they've registered it with Plant Trust and they don't want to just collect canners per se now, although they've got a good general collection of canners, but any new canner they put in needs to be either a species or an Australian hybrid. Good. And so that's what they're adding to their, yep. their canner collection. So every time a new one comes out, um, Frank has named one Stephen Ryan, so I'll bring that in one day when, when it's in flower. I haven't got mine out in flower at the moment. Uh, but uh, and he's got a, he's trying to name a few of them with sort of Australiana type names as well. So we've got city of Gra- city of Bendigo. Uh, he's got the Alice. He's got the Red Centre. Right. Uh, he's got uh, Brolga Dance. You know. So there's lots of canners he's been breeding that have got an Australiana sort Great. of theme to their names. Great. Uh, and he tells me he's just sown about five thousand more canner seeds. Whoa. Goodness gracious. So, is this cocaine? My goodness. He suddenly decided that this is actually. Mm. I mean, he's been breeding canners for donkey years. But he suddenly decided that he's seeing his mortality, so he wants to pump out some really interesting <laughs> stuff over the next few years. So, so he keeps ringing me and telling me that some have come up with burgundy leaves or some have got a sort of a weird variegation in them that he's keeping an eye on. Um, so, yeah, I, look, I think they're underutilised, great plants that are ideal for our sort of climatic area, and so I think we should be revisiting mm. the humble canner. Mm, they're very, very good. Yeah, Isn't well, all it, the more reason yeah. to preserve yeah. them. Oh, well, now that yeah. we've got, you know, this selection the of interesting... The tie with Bendigo, yeah. yeah, yeah that's so, great. And actually, if anybody is interested in canners, it's quite a nice day's outing to go up to Bendigo. Uh, and if you go out to White Hill, that's where the Botanic Gardens is. It used to be called the White Hill Botanic yes, Gardens. Yes, it is. Uh, but they've decided, I think sensibly, to call it the Bendigo Botanic Gardens because people... Mm know where Bendigo is more than they, they know, don't know White, where White Hill, White Hill is. is. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but they hold the national collection of canners and they also have taken over Rosemary Holmes's Lavendula collection. Yes, So they've right. got a formal bed that's been laid out with, with Rosemary's Lavendulas in it. Um, so you can see how the different lavenders perform and what mm. they look like and mm. what have you. So, so they've got two collections up there and it's well worth a trip to have a look at. Absolutely. Stephen, I think it's such a, a good thing that you do to you know, maintain these collections. You know, I, I bow to you because it's so, imp- so important. You know, in, in my industry... Uh, you know, I think you know. You look at ap- apples, and there's about you know five different varieties of the big supermarkets that change change out these days. And if it's in, you're not careful, that, that, that that's all that you know becomes uh, available in a, in, in a mm. few few years. I went over to Pet- Petty's Orchard, where we were invited over the the fruit heritage c- c- crew and uh, Balloon Art and Garden. We, we got over there two hundred varieties of apples there. Yes. And you you, you know to to maintain those collections 
questions are so, so, so important. Well, oh, if you lose yeah. them, you won't get them no, back again. That's right. That's they, right. They, they've yeah. taken how many millions of years to yeah. actually, you know, to get there. And why <coughs> people in their home gardens would think to plant a, a pink lady or a Jonathan <coughs> or a Granny Smith yeah, sure, sure, when there's when all these other apples yeah. that you can't buy yeah, in yeah, the shops. Exactly. Plant the more obscure ones. And, you know, with our industry, climate change is going to come in and, you know, okay, we, we, we might need an a, a, a apple that's more, more suited to, to, to a warmer climate. Yeah. Where, where were they? They're the ones that got there not, not doing a sort of thing? Where's where, 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 where the breeding breeding thing? There's, there's apples back there in the heritage collection that, that certainly can take a warmer climate. Exactly. Sort of thing, so you do your breeding. And yep. It's so important. I heard over the radio that, 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 that you probably heard... Pam, a seed bank in the bowels of a Norwegian island, oh, that sort of thing, where, where it's, you know, I think, minus, minus uh, Celsius degrees at a pretty constant temperature. Yeah. And they've got a, a, th- a thousand odd different species in that they're Currently, there's seeds from Australia going over there, mm. and they're storing them in there. Mm. What, what, what they they, they call it the doomsday seed seed vault, and you, who knows, you know. But all that keeping of, of, of cultivars, you know, for, right. for, for the future generations, yep. so important. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. We there must we get to some of our callers. We have uh, Pam out in Coburg. Good morning, Pam. Thanks for waiting. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Morning, Pam. I, I want to start off with a little boast about my banana. Here we go. (laughs) Gives me one or two bunches a year. Oh, no. Fantastic. Well done. Yes. I think part of the secret is that it's up against, against, or not against, on the other side of the laneway at the back of my place, is a two-storey brick factory. Ah, And I think it gets the heat. It's getting warmth, yeah. The factory faces west, the bananas getting that heat radiated off. Very very good. And maybe the other thing is that I got it from a friend in um, South Australia, a member of this Rare Fruit South Australia, and it was already acclimatised to the Adelaide climate. Mm. And it's fantastic. It's a ladyfinger type, and it um, has these beautiful bananas with a really thin skin. Very good. And they're just delicious. What, 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 what suburb are you in there? I'm in Coburg. 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 Oh, sorry, you said that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. There, there you go. Well, I'm very envious, Pam. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying, try, trying. I was wondering about putting some hot water pipes underneath it. You know? yeah, there you go. Yes, yes. Now that's obsessive. <laughs> no, well, this one is, it's got a huge flower developing right now. I'm going to run out and take photos of it daily or something. It's so spectacular. But, Graham, I could um, maybe drop a pup in if you were interested in it. Yeah, I certainly would be. be Yeah, and I want to thank you for the Orlando Tangelo, which is doing well. Good, okay, thank you. But I also have a question, and it's about strawberries. So my old-school gardening education tells me that you're supposed to discard your strawberries and buy new ones, you know, virus-free new ones on a regular basis. I think they used to say after every three years. Yeah, 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 that's right. Now, I've got quite a collection of strawberries here. I've bought from diggers over the years and built up into nice patches, but I'm still unclear whether I just renew them with suckers every three years or Mm. discard them totally and buy Mm. new stockings. How are they doing fruiting-wise? Look, they're certainly not as good as the first 
uh, year, the first flush when I bought them. But I've got quite a difficult garden too, so a lot of shade in my garden. I mean, I can grow bananas, but I can't grow lots of other things. Um, so I think it could be that they're not... You know, like I'm, I'm torn between yes, topping yeah. them all and starting yeah, yeah, again yeah, yeah, yeah. at great expense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or so they're healthy plants. Mm. I get quite a lot of fruit, but not that yeah, huge yeah. flush. Do yeah. you, yeah. like you get them. enough fruit for the space they take up? Do you think? Um, yes, I do think I am. Well, then yeah. I would then just I'd continue. Yeah. I continue with them as long as you can get away with it, and you only then leap in if you obviously find that your strawberries are really going off and that you think they might be virused, then you start doing something about it. Because yeah. in the meantime, if you're getting enough strawberries for the effort that goes into growing them... Um, I mean, a glut can a be home, as much of a problem yeah, as... And as yeah. a home gardener, just how many strawberries do you really need? Exactly. So, Look, I, I just keep going with what you've got. What do you think, Graham? Yeah. The other thing, Pam, like, like, like uh, sorry, yes, Pam, as Pam said over the, over the world here, uh, commercially they get th- 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 three years out of them virtually. The first year you get nice big strawberries, the next year they come down a bit size, and then they are all, all, almost, you know, too, too small for commercial quantities. And, and so then, you know, the, 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 the runners are used and you, 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 you uh, re, 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 replant for, uh, for another, th- to three years uh, as far as the viruses can, can well, I mean if you if you're prepared to, to, to use your runners you know and, and, and start again after after three years if they're, they're getting too too small and not very very well they're too too prolific actually uh, then, then you start again and you know the, the virus thing within your garden I, I'm Pretty, you know, I know they love to sell sell their virus fruit for, for, for free cultivars, but you know it's not exposed to any, any other strawberries around the place. And like Stephen says, while they're still healthy and, and the, the fruit is healthy, the, 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 leaves, the leaves are healthy, why not con- continue? But I think you might have to, you know, have this cycle of planting new runners rather than outing the old plants. Oh, just using my own runners to, yes. yeah, yeah, sure. to refresh. Yeah, because you the, may not get virus. I mean, they talk about throwing them out every three years, but Graham's right. If they're, if they're well isolated from other people's strawberry patches, mm. where are you going to get the virus from? I mean, I know mm. viruses can be spread by things like aphids and things that can fly, but nonetheless, unless you've got intensive strawberries being grown you know, throughout the whole suburb, um, chances are you might never get virus, so you just need to keep your plants healthy. Okay, and renew them. Every yeah, year. yeah, renew yeah, them every so often, but, but don't do the whole lot in one year. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, okay. True. true. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds very sensible. Yeah, and, and I much know cheaper. It was, <laughs> yeah, much, much cheaper. cheaper. <laughs> and it's also the varieties, the availability of yeah. some yeah. of the. Sure, sure. And they're already the, adapted to your garden. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I'll do that. <laughs> Thanks very much. Good okay, on you, then. Good Pam. Bye. Okay. Bye. And uh, next up we have Diane in Malvernese. Good morning, Diane. Good morning. Um, I'm phoning regarding Lorraine Lee roses, which we have in our front garden. Mm-hmm. Um, this time of the year, I think it's February, I meant to trim them back. Last year I trimmed them back in February quite hard. Um, I'm not sure if I'm doing the right thing. Well, did they flower right through the winter? Yes, they did. Well, then... The plants are telling you that you didn't do a bad job. 
if they're doing what they're supposed to do after you prune them. Right. And, I mean, you can't, it's hard to kill a rose with pruning. The only issue you're going to have with some of these old roses like Lorraine Lee is that if you prune really hard, you push them into lots of growth, and that may be at the expense of flowering the following flowering season. But if they flowered well, then uh, all I can say is keep it up. And if I were to not be so harsh in cutting, mm-hmm. um, how long should I leave the plant? How low should I cut it down to the ground? Look, I think it, it depends on where you are in your soil and your aspects and all those sort of things. I think you have to adapt your pruning uh, to your condition. So it's a bit hard to say, you know, take them down to a metre from the ground or whatever because mm-hmm. it could vary quite a bit. Um, and I would use last year's... Uh, exercise and say to yourself, all right, well, how big did they get? How well did they flower? Uh, if they grew a bit too vigorously, you might lighten the pruning slightly because right. pruning invigorates. So if you prune hard, you're going to get much more vigorous growth because you've got a big root system under there, so it'll keep pushing up lots of growth. So you need to adapt your pruning to get the performance out of the roses that suits you. Right. Well, so maybe, maybe alternate. Like yeah. every second year, do a hard prune. And, yeah. and the intermediate years, do a lighter yeah. prune so that it settles in. And a lighter prune would be how, how tall? Well, how tall are the bushes normally when they get to about maximum size? Well, at the moment, they're at three feet. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, if they're only at three feet tall, I mean, Lorraine Lee can get up substantially more than that. Oh, yes. Uh, so it can be a, a easily a two-metre or more oh, really? rows. Oh, yes, oh, so yes. they can get quite big. Um, so it doesn't sound to me like they're overly vigorous. So in which case you could give them quite a hard cut because yeah. that will just encourage them to grow a bit bigger this year. Oh, righty-ho, fine. So, yes. But don't be frightened of them. It's more a matter of pruning them uh, in such a way that you're sensitive to the shaping of the plant. So try and prune to outward-facing buds mm-hmm. uh, so that you keep that sort of outward-growing vase shape to them. Um, and really just how hard you prune them doesn't really matter long-term because each year you can, you can change the, the level to which you prune them if you found it grew too much or not enough the previous year. So do I prune them now? Or if you I want wait? the winter blooming on them, I think now would be a good time to get stuck into them. Right. So it's twice a year. Yeah. Well, you can do them twice a year. But, I mean, you, I've seen old hedges of Lorraine Lee roses that haven't been pruned in 20 years, and they still flower prolifically. Yeah. So you're not going to miss flowers by not pruning necessarily. Right. But then the plants get more twiggy, and, yeah. and, and they don't look as, as vigorous and healthy. So, uh, so don't be frightened. Um, uh, get stuck in as far as you think you need to go, and the plant will soon tell you whether you've overdone it. It won't do the plant any harm. It'll just grow faster. And uh, how often should I feed it? I mean, I, I feed it irregularly. <laughs> yeah. Well, roses are one of those groups of plants that they, they will, you know, you could shove them in an old cemetery and forget they're there for 30 years and they'll still oh, be right. surviving <laughs> and flowering. Um, <laughs> but it, again, you know, if you want the best from your plants, a light feed every so often is a good idea. But really, if the plants are doing well, feeding is about continuing that. So... If they start to look a little hungry, then obviously you must rush out and give them something to eat. But whilst the plant's looking healthy, they're probably getting the nutrients they need anyway. Fine. And I think people sometimes overdo this. You've got to feed, you've got to feed, you've got to feed. I think we have this pumped into us that uh, I think mainly by fertiliser manufacturers. Yeah, I I suspect. (laughs) That you you have to keep pumping feed into things. And um, uh, although I like to condition my soil with some manure on a regular basis and I'm always putting down mulches and things, um, I don't go out of my way to feed the, I don't know, the... The, the lemon tree on the second week in February or whatever. Uh, I mean, none of us 
we've got the time to be that specific, and I don't think the plants care. Right. All right. Well, thank you very much indeed. That's okay. a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Yeah, Lorraine Lee's one of those old Australian cultivars. It is, isn't you it? You don't see it round? No. Um, I'm assuming it's still being grown commercially for sale, but it's a, it's a lovely old rose oh, and will flower all winter. And it's the only Australian rose I saw growing when I took, I think, my very first trip to Normandy for ASA. Uh, we went to Rosary Delay, which is one of the famous rose gardens in France, a little out of Paris. And, you know, they make this big deal about having, you know, collections of roses from all over the world. They had one Australian rose, and it was Lorraine Lee. Lorraine Lee. <laughs> it was the only Australian rose in the collection. Uh, and um, uh, But they certainly did have a big collection, I have to say. And it looked like Barbara Cartland crossed with it a whirling did. dervish. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, yes, it was just completely over the top. But anyhow, it was uh, an interesting place to visit, I have to say. <laughs> We've had a query from the outside line. A listener has rung in to say that uh, uh, she has ants all around her house, not inside and not on her vegetable garden. Should she do anything? No. They're just part of your environment. Ants are a a very important part of the environment, actually, because they do a lot of cleaning up. You know, they cart off dead insects. They they do a lot of cleaning up. The issue with ants, of course, is that if they decide to farm your aphids, uh, and so you may have to discourage them from going up into, say, your citrus trees where they might deal with the scale or aphids up in there and actually encourage them. But apart from that, ants, generally speaking, are reasonably benign in a garden. I think people get a little too worried about them. Uh, the only time I've ever had particular ant problems in my garden, in my rock garden I quite often get ant colonies because they get in under the rocks and build their nests under the rocks. And I had an echidna turn over my rock garden once. <laughs> I walked up past my rock garden and it looked like somebody had been through it with a rotary hoe. <laughs> Trying to bury themselves, you know. Yeah. And, and, and I walked up further into the vegetable garden. Here's Mr. or Mrs. Echidna, I'm never quite sure which, plodding along up through the vegetable garden after rotivating the whole of the, of the rock garden. Uh, so it's the only time I've ever had particular ant problems. I mean, I do get annoyed with them when they get into the kitchen. Um, uh, but that's just me being fussy about my kitchen. I mean, they actually don't do that much harm either when they get in the house. Yes. Uh, From my perspective, like you, like you say, you know, they, they, they'll, they'll use aphis as milk cows. The yeah. aphis secrete a honeydew and of course the ant, ants like that. And there's a story I don't know whether it's true that they'll actually take those aphis de- 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 down into their uh, the b- 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 burrows, the holes that they were, were, yeah. where the, 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 the ants nest and, 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 and use them as, 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 as milk cows. When in more favourable conditions come out, they'll take them up and put, put, put them back again. But that sounds a little bit far-fetched. Yeah, it does <laughs> to me too, I have to say, Graham. But we do know that ants and aphids and scale do have a relationship that you sometimes have to break. But apart from that, no, I, I think ants are one of those things that live and let live as much as possible. And they are very industrious and interesting creatures too. Mm. I think we're inclined to forget. You, you know about hives of bees and things and how they work. Well, ants work in much the same sort of way. And they're very industrious and, and you know, we could learn a bit from the industrious ant, I have to say. We could. <laughs> yeah, they're scouts, don't they? I think they go out and yes. they, they find a, 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 a dead piece, piece of meat or, you know, an insect or something. And then evidently they've got a sign 
sign language as they go going back to the hives. Just follow, follow, follow the trail. Yeah, follow the trail. The trail. Yeah, there's, there's a meal out there. <laughs> but, uh, and, you know, in Australia, I mean, we've got some introduced ant species, which are a bit of a pain. Um, but we have a really interesting array of ant species in this country, some of which are nasty, bitey things. But oh, yes. that's our problem, not theirs. Uh, uh, I don't encourage nests of ants and jumping jacks no, in my garden, I have to true, say. True, true. Yeah, they, those are... Not things that you want to live with. No. Uh, but uh, the other ants, I tend to live with them. Um, they yeah. don't worry me particularly out mm. in the garden. Mm. So there you go. So, uh, yes, it's just the way it is. And certainly anything you can do to discourage them is generally something chemical, which I would oh, tend I to discourage do. anyway. Well, I know when the Argentine ant first came into Australia, uh, parts of leafy Melbourne were DDT'd oh. to try and stop it. Uh, so all through leafy Baldwin and areas like yeah. that, they, they, they bombed the place with DDT yeah. to try and kill the Argentine ants. They quite probably killed every other insect within oh, Cooey. All the bees. Uh, and I don't know how much DDT is actually in the soil and stuff in, in those areas now, um, but it's supposed to have a long life in the ground. Yeah, yeah, so, residual. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, the residuals yeah. of DDT are probably all over our leafy suburbs of Melbourne because somebody mm. thought it was a good idea to try and get rid of the Argentine ants, mm. which they, of course, didn't get rid of, mm. uh, and now they're part of the environment and, and it seems a pointless exercise mm. to try and discour- or discourage them now. Mm. So it's all too late. Mm. Stephen, we've got a listener who would like to send through a photo to us. Are you happy to give out your email address? Yeah, look, if, if people want to send an image to me, um, you can't do it via the contact me on my website. You can only send me a message. You can't send me a, a picture. And I've got a funny feeling there's something wrong with it at the moment. So if anybody has, in fact, been trying to contact me via my website... I apologise if I haven't got back to you, but it hasn't been coming through as an email and I don't quite know oh. what to do about it yet. I'm going to have to talk to the guy who helped set up my website and see what's going on, see if he can figure out what's happening. Um, if people do want to send me images, I'm always happy to try and name things. I mean, it's not something I can spend hours on, so hopefully I won't get too much. Um, but if you want to send me an image, uh, if you send it to Tugurium, T-U-G-U-R-I-U-M, at bigpond.com. And uh, uh, I get quite a few come to me at different times, images of plants. Try and make sure it's a nice, clear image. Uh, there's no point in taking a picture of a tree that's 20 metres away that's just a leafy green thing. Uh, I probably won't be able to deal with that. But you know, And if it's got flowers, fruit, yeah, flowers, leaves, fruit, yeah, as much information yeah, as yeah, so you can Yes, even if you send me two or three images, one of sort of a more distant shot and one with flowers or fruit or something else that yep. could designate what it is. And I'm very happy to have a crack at IDing them. I mean, I I can look at things and generally fairly quickly pick up what it is. Uh, it really annoys the bejesus out of me if I get something sent to me that I think I should know and then I have to spend hours trying to research it. But uh, I will do that sometimes because I get quite thingy about getting the names of stuff. I hate being beaten. Um, so I will try and name things for people. So, yes, if, if, if you do want to uh, send me an email, I'm happy to have a look at it. Just repeat the address again. Uh, T-U-G-U-R-I-U-M at bigpond.com. Terrific. Uh, oh, and by the way, don't forget too, uh, we've got our opera coming up in the garden on the 18th of March too, so if anybody wants to come up for that, uh, go on to the Gertrude Opera website and book. I know we've had quite a lot of people book. I don't know how many spaces are left, but if you do want to come up for our opera day where we have lovely young opera singers singing their little hearts out, uh, it's just a fabulous afternoon. starts at about 2 o'clock. Uh, there'll be wine, uh, finger food, all that sort of stuff, and you'll have a lovely day. Be so, a gorgeous, so gorgeous there you go. afternoon. Yep, definitely.
Okay, we're going next to Sue out in Narriwara North. Good morning, Sue. Oh, good morning, panel. Uh, I just want to ask Graham um, about. I've got a big, really big orange tree, and it's looking quite stressed. Now, can I take? Well, not me, but my gardener take the top out of that. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> uh, I wonder why it's just stressed. I know it. it uh, probably because yeah. I haven't watered it enough. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the, the case. I know. And, but, got... it, but it's too big. I can't. We can't re- reach the oranges on the top, so yeah, okay. uh, sure. uh, so it wouldn't hurt to get it shortened a little no, bit. No, no, no. It's, it, it's you know by the by the book you do you, you do it late spring or uh, 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 early uh, summer. Summer time is a good time to cut them out. The, the, the danger of, of cutting late in the season is, is it, you know, the, the, the new growth comes out and it's, it's, it's vulnerable to frost. And so, you know, we don't, you would, wouldn't cut the top out of it, say, in May or June. Or probably April and May would probably be more, more, more. Oh, well, more, if he comes in the next couple but of weeks. I, I think you can cut it out now. Yeah, well. Sue, so that, that sounds okay. Yeah. yeah I, I know you've got a, a, a good big tree, but I've, I've got, uh, I think at the last count, 27 different citrus in my, 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 my garden at home now. And, uh, they're, they're dried out just in the last couple, couple of weeks so, so much. They show it by the leaf. I uh, listen listen to the guru of citrus down at Diggers. What what's his name? That doesn't come to me at the moment. Not Ian Tolly. Ian Tolly, thank you. Yeah, and he knows. And he was saying, you go out to your citrus tree and you feel the the temperature of the leaf. If it's cool, you know it has enough water because when when it's got enough water, it transpires and the cooling effect of evaporation. And cools the leaf, so it's something, something I learned listening to. Oh, I have to do that because I have got a Maya lemon and a mandarin. The yeah. mandarin's only really young, but okay, that, I mean yes. they seem all right. Yeah, they seem okay. Yeah. And that yeah. lady before was talking about a banana. I bought one about three years ago from yes. from Bunnings, and it's at the north end of my chicken house, and yes. it's now. Morphed into six bananas. Oh, there you go. Oh, and and, yes. and it got frosted last year badly, yes. and I thought, oh. Yes. But it's actually got uh, a bunch yeah. of bananas, yeah, and I've cut the flower off the other day because I think that's what you're supposed to do. And, uh, yeah, I don't know whether they're all... You do you, know, you have a variety name on that one? I don't know. I just oh, okay. walked past it in Bummings and bought it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's sort of uh, the end of the chicken house which was here when we moved. It's made of metal and it faces north, so it gets that reflected heat. Yeah, yeah, true, true. And, um, I mean, we we lived in Catherine and Darwin, so we have grown bananas before. Uh, But, yeah, yeah. so it'd be interesting to see if if it actually... They fatten up and they can be eaten. Yeah, I was so excited when I actually yeah, saw a flower on it. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. 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 We all get into the zonal denial. If we, 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 yes. we win, it's a real, oh, real, 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 real pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> but, I'll be growing bananas before you know it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's climate change. But, but one of the things that's been a real success in my garden is my half avocado. I've, uh, oh, it's in the chicken yard and it doesn't get the western sun and oh it's magnificent go on you get good crops off that one yeah from the second year i was picking avocados very good terrific Mm, yeah Yeah, i've got a couple of avocados there and uh, yeah they uh not not, not a lot of fruit you know but uh uh, 
and uh, it's uh, again nice to achieve cheetah they're lovely, lovely food to take inside and do it and especially if the price that you have to pay for them in the green growth oh, yeah. most of the time this year they've been so expensive <laughs> yeah well we love our avocados and I've got grandchildren that do too so very good very good oh, great. <laughs> good, on you. good to hear from you Sue bye bye, bye. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We'd love to hear from you. We're running through uh, till 9.15, so plenty of time to give us a call. That number is 94190155 to speak to Stephen Ryan or Graham Morrison in the studio, or if you'd like to have a chat to Liz on the outside line, 94198377. I should quickly mention um, I'm a bit hot hot under the collar at the moment because... um, uh, Nilambic, uh Council, Shire Council, have uh, in their wisdom decided that they are planning to sell off 17 sites of public land in, uh, in right throughout the Nilambic Shire. Now this includes um, a number of treed open spaces, some reserves, some, some of those lovely little private reserves you can get that, uh, that uh, people do do use, particularly around our area, and um, they're wanting to uh, sell them off for development. Now, um, if anyone listening is uh, in the Nilambic Shire um, and you're angry about all of this because keeping our trees, keeping our green spaces is just so important, particularly as our cities get ever and ever larger and we get more and more concrete jungles, we're getting... You know, two dwellings on the block that used to be one house. Um, Our our green spaces are being reduced constantly to have these green spaces that I think belong to the people, and rightly so, to have, um, you know, a shire just suddenly decide that they're going to sell them off for... um, I mean, there'll be a sea of townhouses or something ridiculous. Yeah, and in an area like Eltham... The green spaces are a great place where wildlife and other things, it's not just about the trees. Exactly. They take the trees out and where do the birds and the possums and the insects and all I those mean, other creatures I mean, we've got so live? much wildlife in Nelson. That's why most of us moved out there, because yeah. we want to be in a, in a treed environment. I mean, I mean, I just know from my own backyard, I've, I've got echidnas, um, I've got, uh, we've had kangaroos come through regularly, um, you know, the list goes on, plenty of possums of course, which other people have, the bird life is just amazing, frogs everywhere, you know, and, and we can't go on doing this, and human beings are like animals in a zoo, if we're only surrounded by concrete, we get depressed and we can get sick. Yeah, we yeah, seriously yeah, can. And it, this has been shown in lots and lots of research. So um, if you want to help uh, protect these green spaces, there is um, actually a rally today starting at 11 o'clock, which is going to be at, at 895 Main Road in Eltham. There's going to be um, uh, a march starting at 12 noon or... Um, the council are taking uh, public submissions at the moment about it, so you can uh, sign a petition or email a submission, uh, but we need as much uh, community support as possible to try and keep these uh, these uh, wonderful green spaces, because it might be Nillambic Council 
this time, but it could be your council next time. Yes. And um, we're gradually eroding all this wonderful space. I mean, once it's gone, it's gone. Yeah, you can't put it you back. You can't put it back. Yeah. So um, we really need to fight this one because um, because our green spaces are just, just so important. But anyway, that's my little spiel Good for well the morning. Yeah, and I'll be there. I will be rallying <laughs> and marching today because yeah. I do care passionately about yeah, this. So yeah. it's... It's and very important for all of us. And even other, otherwise, Pam, Pam, like you, like you say, in, in, well, in Man- Manningham, where I, li- I live, so, so many houses that are quite, quite livable houses with good, good gardens and, and, and greenery. They, they, they three, three people get together, they, they, they sell it, and then there goes a, a monolith <gasps> four, 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 four stories high. Yeah. There's the, 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 just, just a gesture of, of planting plants, you know. You, uh, the time, a few yuckers down the side yeah. or something. Yeah, and they so take so off all the topsoil as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just... Mm. No, it's awful. It's mm. got to stop. Mm. We really yeah, have I to have a say in so. this. Yep, Good. absolutely. Good. Okay, I'll calm down now. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> we'll go next to uh, David, who's in Cheltenham. Good morning, David. Uh, good morning, Anna. Uh, thanks, Graham, for that, that um, hint about uh, checking lemon tree hydration. But what I was ringing about was the, we've got two kiwi fruit vines. One's about 15 years old and it's a male. The other's a fairly new female, about three years old. And the, the female's doing it tough in this, even the moderately hot days. Yes. What's the, the watering, the roots? Um, are they, is it very surface rooting or how far would you expect the roots to go out? Mm. Do you have any idea? Because we do water it. Yeah, yeah, but I'm not sure. too sure whether yeah, yeah, to sure. deep water it yeah, or water yeah. a big area. Yeah, yeah. I have the same, the same problem. And, ah. uh, you know, you've only got, uh, just about out of my tank water now. I've got, got, got a, a, a fair, fair storage, storage there. But getting, getting a bit miserable to, to, to put a lot of water on things that are, you know, just, just surviving, yeah, but, you know, not, not, not thriving. And, uh, I'm the same deal. I was a bit surprised how much my uh, kiwi fruit drink drink. They look a little bit sad. There's a few, you know, dead leaves, and they'll actually burn around the edges, sort of thing, if they get too dry in, in the hot in the hot weather. Uh, I guess. But you know, are they are they surf, are they surface? I, 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 yeah, I haven't got too too much experience on that to tell you the truth, but I, I would fancy that they're fairly surface rooted. Yeah. yeah. What about the tamarillo? Because we've got a tamarillo that's about five years old. Yes. And it's looking more fatigued this year, even mm. though this year isn't quite as hot. Mm. And, and it seems to get the same amount of water. Yes, okay. I think you've got to give it more more, more water from my... my, my. What, what, what sort of soil type are you on there? Oh, Cheltenham's uh, just pure sand. So sand and, yeah. And, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. and I, my wife thinks mm. that we should have dug some uh, mm. carefully dug or, or some manure in or, or mm. some compost in yeah, for at least... Put it around the yeah, um, for, for sure. That, that 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 tells the story a bit. You know, you you, you profile so water you, holding. You, you, yeah, that's right. You want something in there that holds the water. In the vegetable growers who all in that area in the in the past, they use so much, you know, chick, chick, chicken manure, cow manure, uh, compost to a, a, add to that uh, sand, sandy soil, and that, that that'll you know maintain some some of the moisture rather than going straight through the profile. But uh, I think, uh, you know, more, 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 more water you need there. They, they're, they're showing the signs of, uh, you know, uh, uh, dehydration, and so they want water. Yes, and we're in the same boat as you. Our tanks are nearly empty. Yeah. Um, but, yes, I, I was just 
I don't know whether to use a, a, a penetrating tube to get the water further down, but I don't mm. want to waste the water. No. And if it's if it's missing the if it's missing the feeding roots, it's pointless doing I, I, it. I think you know, compost into in, in, into the soil. If you can beg, borrow some 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 clay and incorporate it into the, in, 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 into the soil is another way to go. But then regular you know w- w- waterings you know to just to keep, keep, keep those surface surface roots satisfied. All right, mm. thanks, Graham. Good on you, David. Thanks See you, so Bye bye. Bye. All right. You, 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 meant, you mentioned compost. It's a, it's a, it's a great tool. Oh, and in sandy soil, you can't use too much. No. no. So, yeah, I know people who've been gardening on sand for donkey's years, and they must have must have put thousands of tonnes of compost in over the years, and it it breaks down and slowly leaches away. So you've just got to keep keep, 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 it, keep yeah, adding it, yeah, keep putting it in. And if you've got established roots, I mean, even if you you put it on the surface, it will surface. It will gradually leach down. Oh yeah, you know. So you you might have missed the boat in actually digging it in before you planted, but that doesn't mean you still can't put it there. Yeah, and of course, if we if we ever get a nice torrential rain (laughs) for two days, so that our our ground gets really soaked, mulching, of course, to to retain some of that moisture. Yes, good on you. It all helps. Let's uh, move on, and uh, let me see. We have uh, Michael in Forest Hill back again. Hi, Michael. Yeah, back again. That's okay. Good to hear from you again. (laughs) Yeah, look, um, with the issue of uh, overdevelopment, we we are about to have 700 units built on the Channel 10 site up here. Um, Yeah, up up at the top of Marnie's Road. My goodness. 700 units. Um, This place will be gridlocked. You know, and there's also um, a whole range of um, probably uh, there might be some indigenous, but some uh, quite a lot of native plants that are no doubt going to be taken out yep, there. Yep, yep. Um, uh, and we've got an, where the brickworks site is up the road here. That's massive development. That's a massive development. We we are we are going to have uh, a, a traffic nightmare. Um, <laughs> You know, that's um, right because they don't think of the existing infrastructure. You know, and, they and, just plonk and, these things up. That's right. And where where the hell are we going to get the water from? Yes. You know? um, this is this is a this is a you know total catastrophe. You is know, it, is it still open for public consultation or is it too late? Uh, uh, I, I I I think it might be a bit late. Um, oh dear. I, I've spoken to one of the councillors here. Um, I, I think she's doing what she can, but uh, other than that. Um, you know, uh, you know. Uh, mm. I, I can tell you that the, 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 the street here is all, all, almost. I can't get out of my driveway mm. as it is. Well, it's going to be a lot worse, Michael. So, yeah, yeah. I've got to make a stand somewhere. Along yeah, the they line. do. It's they really, really do. Yeah, yeah, I think it's about time that uh, we draw a line in the, in the sand. You know, sort of thing. It's this is this is ridiculous. Well, it uh, is. Or as a National Party politician said, under the sand. <laughs> <laughs> Did well, you notice that well, the other day? He said, "No, twice. I haven't heard that one." But you know, we have to draw a line under the sand. He <laughs> well, <says>. yeah. Well, <laughs> that, that doesn't surprise me. We're not going to see bit. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that. I, yeah, I, mm. I can see the, the the non-logic non-logic in that. But yeah, look, I thought I'd just bring that across. Yeah, uh, we hear the concern in your voice. You're, you're yeah. genuine there. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. I'll once again I'll get out of your way. But, um, uh, appreciating the program. Thank you. Good on you, Michael. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. 
Okay, next up we have uh, Miriam in Croydon. Good morning, Miriam. Good morning. Um, we, I'm sitting here on my back deck this beautiful autumn morning looking at um, our Plucot tree. We had a wonderful um, harvest, particularly from the lower half of the tree, um, just around Christmas. A delicious, almost apricot-like fruit. In fact, the tree really looks more like a more park apricot. But now the tree has um, vertical growth reaching for the sky. At the highest point, it's about four metres. Mm. Um, now, it is quite a good vase shape. It does need some cut out of the centre. But um, just wondering two things. Should we wait till the winter to cut that right back? Um, what should we do? Because we want to keep both that tree and our nectarine tree sort of manageable size so yeah. we can harvest the fruit. Yes, yes. And my second question is, at what point in the season does the fat start to flow downwards? Because um, mm. I read somewhere that you don't ever prune a tree when the fat's running down. So I wonder mm. if you could help me with those. Yeah, well, I think so. Thanks. I, I, I gave a t- to talk to uh, some of the people from... Pulling out and go, go garden uh, recently on su- summer pruning. It's a great idea. You know, uh, you, you, you don't want a big, big tree, and, and certainly, you know, you've been looking after that tree and you've got a, a we call them water shoots, they run up, and you can bring those water shoots right back. If it's in, in the centre, you can take, that, take them right out. Uh, um, and then even on the on the side branches on the 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 perimeter of the vase, if you like, uh, you, you if you've got say say a two foot growth growth there, you cut cut it back to just a third, uh, to leave a third a third of that length. Uh, and so, I think for what was the the, the the tree? I just missed the first bit. Is, is it a plum? Cot? I think it's a plum cot or a plum cot, yeah, um, sure. something like yeah, that. Yeah. But and the it, the fruit tastes very much like an apricot. Yeah, fair enough. And anything that that's got a bit apricot heritage in there, it's better to prune in in the autumn than in the winter time, and because of the fear of gamosis, both cherries and apricots. So. Go, go, go for it this time of the year. As far as the, the, the sap going, going down, I hadn't heard that one to t- t- tell you the truth. Okay, uh, right. And uh, I, 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 I'm not acquainted with, with that one for you, Miriam. But, you know, have a, have a go at it now and don't be frightened to get, get into it and give it a good, a, a good trim. You'll, even okay. from, from now on, you, you, okay, you cut and you'll get a little bit of t- shoot come out, but those shoots won't get up to, you know, to, to, Compete with the the, the, high, the height that you know you you, you want to want to keep keep, keep it down. No, yeah, I notice on the vertical growth, the sure. bottom third of the branches are quite leafy, like dense leafy. But okay. as they go progressively higher, the mm. the leaves seem to thin off a bit. So should we maybe prune back? 
to where the leaves yeah, to, to, were better. To, to those be, be better large leaves, that sounds like a great yeah, idea. Yes, yeah. for, for sure. Okay, so we can go for it yeah. now. And the same with the nectarines? Yes, yeah. You, there's no, 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 you, know, you can prune, prune the nectarines in, in the wintertime, but, but you know, a little bit of a tr- tr- trim now. It's a great idea to, 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 to summer, summer, summer prune. A lot of, a lot of people don't, don't know about it, but in commercial orchards, they do, do, do it quite a, quite a lot nowadays, and it, uh, it saves pruning. I suppose the only trouble commercially is that you know, it's, it's a labour component, and uh, sometimes they, they back away from it. But, but to do the yeah. right thing from your home, home garden with your fruit trees, you give them, give them a summer prune is ideal. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And also, just one other quick question. Where would you find or source the heritage apples that you were talking about? Because we're looking to plant some um, apple trees, but um, and can you get the heritage ones in dwarf? Um, yes, I'm not too sure about that one, but uh, c- c- certainly Petty's pet, pet Orchard, they're part of the yeah. Yarra, Yarra, Yarra Valley uh, yeah. uh, you know, or, or, or organisation, and, and they have special days where they will sell trees, they sell sign wood that you can you know, do your own, they'll actually show, show you the, the grafting techniques, but I'm not too sure when they run, Pam... Uh, I think you 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 have announced it over the station, and from time to time when when yeah. they're just about ready to. Uh, to um, uh, yeah, there's yeah. there's a group called Heritage Fruit Society. Sure. And um, they also they've just had one of their big days down at uh, Werribee uh, Park. Yes. Um, where they were selling off yeah. a lot good, of good, these good, good, and good. teaching yes. people yes. how to yes. Yes. how to um, mm. graft onto them, and they yeah. sell cyanwood mm. as well. Mm. They have a lot of different root stocks available too, so I'm sure yeah. they probably sure. have dwarf dwarfing roots root stocks as well. Now, have you got a paper and pencil? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I can give you a contact detail. You can go to um, www.heritagefruits.org. So it's heritagefruits, all lowercase, all one word, dot org. Or a phone number is 5962-5070. So you've got all of that? 5962-5070. Yes. Good. Okay, that's great. Thank you so much. Okay, that's fine. Bye-bye. Thanks, bye. And uh, next up we have Lois in Mitcham. Good morning, Lois. Oh, good morning, Pam. Lovely to hear all of you again, especially Graham. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> With all his knowledge. Not that Stephen hasn't got a lot too, oh, and I'm no. sure you have, Pam, as well. <laughs> anyway, what I was ringing about, I did send a message on the email, but I don't know whether you would get it before the end of the show or even tomorrow or not because things seem to be slow lately on emails, as Stephen has said. Well, we certainly won't get it before the end of the show because no. we don't have access to no. a computer. Well, the, the question that I was asking was about canna lilies. Now, I did hear Stephen mention canna lilies before, yep. and yes. I also heard him on ABC, I think, radio one morning talking about ginger lilies and canna lilies and all sorts of lilies. Well, um, Unless it was yours as well, I don't know. Um, but our, the question we have is that we gave our daughter a 
what we thought was a canna lily. It has grown over 10 feet tall. Now, is that possible, Stephen? Oh, yeah, easily. Uh, There's a number of different species and cultivars of cannas, uh, and they can vary from dwarf ones that grow to less than a metre up to some that can grow to four metres. Right, oh, well, this one is in my daughter's garden, and it's off the ground and up to nearly the top of the... Or past the veranda roof, actually. Yeah, the only issue with the really tall cannas, I mean, they generally have particularly large and, and tropical-looking foliage, so they're really grown more as foliage plants. Yeah. But the really tall ones only tend to flower very, very late in the season because they flower mm. from the top of the stem. Mm. Yes. So if you plant the really tall ones like Indica purpurea, uh, there's another one called Grandy, which grows very tall, they tend to have smallish flowers and they produce them very late in the season. Yeah. And so the flowers are almost a non-event. It's really... You grow them really for their big, wonderful leaves. Well, this one has red flowers, but they aren't terribly large from what I can remember of other colors. Is it a bronzy-leafed one or a green-leafed one? uh, Green, green, and it also has quite uh, large red fruits, woolly outside sort of appearance, Mm -hmm. and it's about the size of a large Tom Bowler, I suppose you'd say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well... Which are very, very decorative. Yeah, yeah. And, and some, some of them do have quite decorative seed pods, so um, that can be part of the effect. And certainly if you're growing them as foliage plants and they are the ones that grow really tall and tend to flower late, mm-hmm. there is no point in cutting the dead flowers and stuff off. It's almost the end of the season anyway and they'll get yes. whacked down to the ground. Uh, so just enjoy them as foliage plants. Yes. But yeah, some it, of the really tall ones are quite though. handsome. It sounds like a canna. Um, Not a ginger lily. Well, Few yes. of the ginger lilies get that tall. Uh, I mean, two metres nearly always sees your ginger lilies out, so I'd be surprised if any of the ginger lilies that we're growing here would grow above two metres, but certainly some of the cannas would. At any rate, we have um, sent that email, so you might get to see it Mm -hmm. um, You know, when it it comes through and maybe make a comment. Now, just hearing uh, the lady mention nectarine trees before me... with nectarines and peaches, how does one tell the difference between a nectarine and a peach leaf? Mm. How with, different are they? With, with difficulty, nectarines are basically furless peaches anyway, yeah, aren't e- they, right? E- exactly, that's right. Yeah, right, so right, they're, right, they're right. really, there's not mm. botanically, mm. there's very little difference mm. between. No, mm. no, it's just that I've got two or three self-sown ones that have come up. And I was wondering whether we might be getting white nectarines or yellow crinstone peaches. Yeah, well, there's probably no way to... Yeah, you just have to see what happens. (laughs) And I I quite agree with the gentleman from Forest Hills about over-planting, so to speak, all these different places going up in our area. This is absolutely shocking. Mm. Council may think that they're doing a good job making things but they certainly don't allow for car spaces, they don't allow for anything that really is concerning. When we moved here, which was over 50 years ago at Mitcham, um, then, you know, houses were houses and homes, not, and now they're letting trees being cut down all over the place and where there was one home there might be five Double-storey places. I know. It's really ridiculous. shocking. Yep. Very mm. sad. But at any rate, it must be our time out this way because we had the Croydon lady, we had 
what was his name, Neville or something, who grew the banana trees and um, talked about strawberries, and I quite agree with him at Mitcham. Good on um, you. Okay. Good on you okay. guys, okay. and thank you very much for listening. Okay, okay. thanks, thank Lois. Bye. 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 Um, we've had a bird question on the outside line. I don't oh. know if this we're going this to be able to. This might not be ours. This night might be our thing. But um, a listener from Altona has a bird feeder with lots of birds. This week she had a bird that was cream and white, um, with a long tail about one foot long. And the bird was black all down its front. The bird was bigger than a crow. Any ideas? Mm, I no. think we'd need a photo. Yeah, we'd need a photo. And even then, I'm not sure I can help because no. I, I mean, I know my local birds reasonably well, um, but I haven't seen one of them. Maybe, <laughs> maybe go to the library, um, yeah. look up what bird is that. or You could probably Google it. Uh, yes, I you mean, might be able to I with a photo. There will be... Websites for Birds of Australia bird. and, yep. and things like that that you could scan and, uh, and look through and see what's what and, and pick up the bird. I mean, I'm becoming more and more into this whole Google thing. It's taken me years to get my head around it because uh, I'd always turn to a book yeah. yes. and, and look it up in a book. But, but you don't always have the right book. No, you don't always have the right book. And I have to say, you know, uh, you do have to take what you read on Google sometimes with a pinch of, of salt. Course. But it can be a hugely useful resource, particularly if you're looking for images of things to to show people um, and so I quite quite often google the image of a plant for them because it can often be quite a bit quicker than okay. actually trying to find it in one of my books yes. so um, yeah so a search engine's often a good idea to have a crack at finding things I mm. mean I'm one of those troglodytes it's taken forever to get used to the internet and computers and all that stuff, but yeah, last night I spent about four hours with a friend trying to set up a Facebook page. Oh, <laughs> goodness. So I think I'm there now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and of course, I've been told I need to have an Instagram account as well, which oh. I don't quite understand what that's all about. I mean, I got my head around Twitter ages ago, so I'm tweeting. You're getting there. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, this whole Facebook and Instagram thing is a whole new world. Oh, so yes. we'll see how I get on with all of that. Okay. Anyhow. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Graham, you've brought in a whole lot of produce which oh, we yeah. haven't spoken about. No, no, that's the truth, Pam. We haven't just, shown a fee. <laughs> Gosh, look how dark they are. They are well and truly yeah, right. I've got a few figs in front of, front of me here and uh, you know, I, I, I like a glass of red wine, but I went out to my, uh, I've got a cage where I've got my figs, so no birdies or possums, so I'm the only one that can get, get, get in to, you know, have, have a feed of these. And I, I know a, a good red wine is, is good, but you bite into a fig that's just freshly picked off the tree, it's a bit of a joy, you know. It's oh, a, it's gosh, a yes. Where, where, where you'll be, there's a, a couple of figs, figs there, a, a sample, we might hear the oohs and ahs from <laughs> Simon and Pam. I'm, I'm, but, I'm uh, just firstly really impressed with the colour. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's right, sure. Almost I'm black and dark. <laughs> I haven't got that far yet. Yeah, I'm yeah, talking too much. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> whilst you were talking, <laughs> I left in. Stephen's right into it. <laughs> What's the variety, Greg? This is, this is black, black Genoa. Yeah. Mm. yeah it's it, it, lovely. Yeah, and it, 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 it's beautiful. It expert, yeah. That's but what I, a fig should be. I, I, in my I, book. I always think, as, as well as the the, the flavour of it, you've got that little bit of crunchiness sort of thing, you know, yes. which, which is nice for the palate as well. Yes. But they're a rarity in that they're. They're really the flower, an inside-out flower. 
the, the, the flower is inside, so there's a specific wasp that gets in the t- top and, and, and travels in there and, and, and pol- 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 pollinates the, the Well, I like that eggs. wasp. It does a yeah, damn good job. That is a delicious thing. That yeah, really yeah, is. It's a good, good piece mm. of fruit. But, uh, and they're one yeah. of those fruits that don't travel terribly well anyway. So exactly. If you can and pick your own yeah. figs. You really need yeah, to yeah, grow yeah, your yeah, own. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Because right they, right they don't keep it all. No. Yeah. The stuff you buy at the supermarket, they're just too, too old. And oh. they never, never taste any, anywhere near like you get, 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 get a fig off well, the Well, that tree. was really yummy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so black genoa. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And for those right. people out there, out there, if you're growing figs, they're sort of, you know, well, you, get, you can get two, two crops a year. There's this, 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 this crop, crop, crop that's, that's called, 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 uh, yeah, uh, crop. Uh, I know some of the people who grow figs know, know that term. And that's one that the figs will actually come in in Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And, and for those, you don't, if you want to get those figs, you don't, don't, don't prune the fig. You let, let them have those little figs, they sort of start, oh, start, start in the, yeah, over winter, Stephen. And, uh, indeed, if you want to promote those, you just take the, 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 the new tips that come out, you just take the tips off and, and, and leave, the, leave the fruit so you, you don't get a lot, a lot of that st- at that stage but in the nursery we've sold about four different varieties, we had uh, black, black Genoa, brown, brown turkey white Adriatic and white, white, white Genoa and they've all got their specific you know, f- 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 flavours personally I think uh, brown turkey is a r- r- really lovely, lovely, lovely that is a good lo- one you've brought it in here once before a good flavour flavoured fruit uh, the other thing I was going, going to say, in, in their backyard, it can get a massive tree. You know, they, they, they grow very tall and probably too big for a, a, a lot of home gardens. And now, I think Daly's up in Queensland, they are offering uh, dwarf brown, brown turkey fig. Okay. So that's another, another thing for the people out there to keep, keep, keep in mind. Yes. You know, mm. Yeah, dwarf fig, that sounds like a very good idea. Great. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only thing I have against dwarf fruit trees is that you get less fruit. Potentially. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> okay. yeah. uh, I mean, the size of the tree is going to have some impact on the amount of fruit you're going to get. Oh, yeah. yeah so yeah, you don't tend mm. to get as much. No, no, no. But um, the, the, the size is just as good, you know. You, yeah, the fruit. You, you, you yeah. don't, don't, don't drop, drop down in size of fruit. But I could see the way you enjoy that fig. You want a big fig tree, I could see that. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't care if a fig tree took over half of my backyard if it was fruiting well. Well, I, I have to, I've mentioned this, I know, um, previously, but out at Rip and Lee, they've espaliered. Big yeah, trees, that's right, that's right. A, yeah. right? A long, yeah. long distance. Yeah, I've seen that. Time. And and they work yeah. brilliantly, yeah, really they, they, well. They and really, good. really, a fig yeah. is a really ornamental plant too. I mean, its foliage yeah, is so it's handsome. Sure, sure. And yeah, yeah. so there's a lot to a fig. And yeah. I have to say, if I had a wonderful old gnarly fig tree in my back garden, which I obviously don't have. Um, a really old spreading fig tree can be the most beautiful. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, like it's ancient true, mulberries true. and ancient yeah, olives yeah, and things. They, yeah, they yeah, develop yeah, yeah, real yeah. character. Yeah. I tell you what, as a kid, they're great trees to climb. Yes, yeah. they are. I've done that many times. You need your climbing trees as well. Yep, no, yep, no, important. they're terrific because yeah. the bark is smooth and 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 yeah. and the branches are quite substantial, so a, a, a child can sit on them easily. And yeah, yeah they're yeah. they're great. I was reading a bit of article article about about them, and I think you know back back in tabloids and 
the, the uh, early photos to 2500 BC. They, they had figs there, and it's been a you know, an important thing right, right through the ages. And, and they had, they talked about the, the, the spreading fig tree where you, you sit underneath in the shade, in the shade sort of thing. It's, it's, yeah, gobbling it's figs and a glass yeah. of red wine, probably. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing, of course, you know, back, back to Adam and Eve, they used the figs for quite, uh, you know, the fig leaves. I mean, uh, quite, 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 I can't quite, see how they wore fig leaves. <laughs> They're too rough. I think you get a lot of chafing happening. So I, I think that's a bit of a sort of a, 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 a yeah, okay. I, I can't imagine wearing a fig leaf. Uh, and anyhow, I think anybody who needs something the size of a fig is probably skiting as well, <laughs> potentially. Okay, we must get to our next caller because we're going to run out of time. Oh, we, we are have, too. It's um, getting close. Yes, we have Liz in Collingwood. Good morning, Liz. Oh, good morning. Look, I'll be very quick. Um, the talk about development, there's a wonderful group called Planning Backlash. Right. And they coordinate all throughout Melbourne and into Frankston, all over Victoria, this dreadful curse that's happening. And uh, so if you just Google planning backlash, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you will find strength that we can all get, get together and fight this. There's also a wonderful podcast on 3CR City Limits program. Oh, yes. But if you, you will find that if you just Google planning backlash, because we all have to get together. I think Thank that's you it. very much. For the sake of the, the animals, it's not just humans, you know. Oh, they exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much. Okay, thank, thank you, Liz. Bye bye. Thank you for your call. Oh dear, we are nearly out of time, yeah, Stephen. We might have time to talk about one quick more right. plant. All right, I'll talk about this one because it's an interesting plant. Um, it's a shrub from the Canary Islands, um, and as people know, I've been there, which was great fun. Uh, funnily enough, I didn't actually see a plant of this growing in the wild oh. while I was there. But it's in the Rosaceae family, um, and it's a plant called Dendriopaterium menendesii, which Ooh, is a wonderful old. name. <laughs> uh, if you can say it without stuttering over it, you'll be elected president of the garden club. Um, <laughs> and I am, so there you go. Um, the Dendriopaterium, for anybody who's ever grown Melianthus in their garden, the, the um, Melianthus major, the honeybush with its big silvery leaves, it's like a dwarf version of that, right. really. has smaller leaves, a lovely grey-green. It grows to a shrub around about two, two and a half metres tall. Uh, the lower leaves die and it exposes quite nice coppery bark stems. Uh, and then it gets sprays of little greeny pink flowers on the tops of the stems uh, and it flowers in the summer. It is completely and utterly drought tolerant. Um, I never water my dendriopateriums uh, and I've got two species in the garden. This is the only one that I've started growing commercially because it's the prettier of the two. Uh, but it will grow in really dry, aridy conditions. Uh, if it has a drawback at all, it's inclined to hold some of its dead foliage, but you can run your hands up the stems if you're a really tidy gardener uh, and all the dead leaves will fall off and then it exposes the quite pretty stems. And I just think it's a pleasant and interesting offbeat shrub that you just don't see grown there. I saw them first actually in the... Um, the gardens at the Adelaide Botanic Gardens in their systems garden. Uh, they have a really interesting garden there where you can walk in and there's sort of rectangular beds and they've got sort of plant families per bed. 
And mm. so you walk into the rosaceae bed and, you know, here's dendropateriums and other rosaceous shrubs from the canaries and other parts of the world. And I sort of fell in love with them. And I thought, what really interesting plants. And I don't remember how I got my first one. Somebody gave it to me at some stage or another. I can't remember how. Uh, but it's been growing in my garden for about 15 years now. Never watered it. Um, and it just sits there and does its thing. Uh, it's reasonably easy to raise from seed. I get the occasional self-sown seedling comes up in the gravel path. Um, gravel paths are great places for things they to are. seed into. <laughs> they seed the seed into there instead of in the garden bed. But anyhow. Um, and, uh, yes, if you're looking for an interesting foliage plant that grows to about two, two and a half metres, uh, that is completely and utterly drought tolerant, uh, then Dendriopaterium uh, could in fact be a subject you might like to grow, and I'd better just quickly spell the genus name so that if anybody is interested, they can look it up. So it's D-E-N-D-R-I-O-P-O-T-E-R-I-U-M, Dendriopaterium. I must say I love the limey green colour of the foliage. Yeah, it's lovely. It's Beautiful. got sort of slightly mauvey stems, flower, uh, leaf stems on it. It's it's not a plant that sh- screams at you. It doesn't sort of leap out at you when you're walking around the garden. Um, but it's a really useful filler shrub for, mm. you know, anywhere where you're looking for something that's heat and drought tolerant. Mm. Mm. So there you go, Dendriopaterium. Yeah, no, I so there you think go. it's great. Fantastic. Ah, you have been listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We have unfortunately run out of time again. for again for yet another week. Um, of course, we will definitely be back again next Sunday. Um, but uh, a big thank you to uh, not only the team of Stephen and Graham, but also to Doug and Liz who've been handling all the calls for this week. And of course, uh, as I mentioned, we will be back again next week uh, at 9:15. So until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.